Praise the Lord. Good morning. Hallelujah. So somebody hit the lights back there. Praise the Lord. Well, you will uh, see as I begin to open up the scripture that Eddie's getting real good at hearing what the Lord's speaking to me. He's talking about um, the goodness of God and how we sometimes, uh, when he said you go work at another place and you're not talking about how good, you know, that burger is at Burger King. And uh, so this message is entitled The Goodness of God. And he went into Genesis 1 even, which is pretty interesting. Um, so if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And I'm going to read a couple of different versions of this verse. But here's the New King James Version. It says, Or do you despise, think about how strong that word is, the riches of his goodness. Boy, that's a strong phrase. He's asking a question. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? I'm going to repeat that last line. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. That's a very fascinating phrase right there. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Listen to the New American Standard. Do you think lightly... Of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. So what leads us to repentance? His goodness or his kindness toward us. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right now that you would just touch this word. And Lord, you would... um, Let it accomplish what you intend for it to accomplish in our hearts, Lord. That you would uh, give us ears to hear uh, what you're saying today, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. I have been studying all week on the goodness of God. And so praying and studying and preparing and knowing that was what I was going to preach, and then yet, last night at 1 a.m., I still have nothing on the paper. You know, and um, so I'm praying and I'm saying, God, you know, is this really what you want me to preach? I've been praying, I've been studying, I've got all these things in my heart about it, but I have nothing that you've led me to put on a piece of paper. And so about 1 o'clock sometimes you get a little nervous. And so I, uh, this is actually truly what I did. I, I went to a Bible app where the 66 books of the Bible are there. And they all have a hyperlink to go read those books, you know. Push Genesis, goes Genesis 1-1, go to Exodus. Exodus 1, you start to read. And so I put the 66 books on there. I took my tablet and I spun it in a circle. And I said, God, tell me what book you want me to preach out of. And the thing was upside down. I hit my finger on it, and he took me to the book where I originally was going to preach from in Romans. <laughs> and I said, okay, this is the one then. 
And uh, I, I can tell you, I don't normally do that, but when you're frustrated, you get a little desperate sometimes. And so God was very clear, no, I want you to preach on my goodness, you know, this morning. And um, so then what, something happens when you're committed to what you're preaching. When you know that God, without a doubt, wants you to preach on a certain thing and the Spirit has led you that way. And so I just went to bed. And then I said, I'll get up in the morning. I'll be much more rested now that I know. And then got up in the morning and wrote the sermon. Um, but God really wants us to know this this morning. And so I'm going to circle back um, in a little bit to Romans chapter 2, verse 4, where it says that his kindness or his goodness lead us to repentance. But I want to start in a different place Uh, Do you know it's not unusual for a person to go their whole life and uh, never recognize how good God is, how kind God is, how God um, is a good God? And uh, the Bible, if you study every time the Bible talks about the goodness of God, um, it's very clear that that's just who he is. Uh, How many have ever known somebody that was kind and good? And they seem like a very nice person. You would say, man, they don't have a mean bone in their body, right? Well, God is that infinitely more. God is good and can never be evil. There's nothing that God, uh, even when it seems hard to understand why God behaves a certain way, the Bible is very clear that God is always good. That God has a goodness to him that never changes, and he always is good. And God wants us to know um, that he is a good God. And so it's very interesting here. In in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, um, this is a very difficult time. Because God has uh, delivered the children of Israel. How many remember they were in bondage in Egypt? And God had promised, I'll bring you out of that slavery, that bondage. And so God dramatically uh, doesn't forget his promises. And God moves on their behalf. And, and probably there has never been a group of people that have seen more miracles and more um, goodness from God. I mean, he brings, he tells them to release his people. Then he brings all these miraculous plagues upon Egypt because they refuse to release them. And then they go out into the wilderness and God's providing food and water and doing all kinds of things uh, and miracles to sustain them. And he's revealing himself as God. And 33, that chapter is a place where Moses disappears for a while. And when he disappears... He goes to the top of Mount Sinai and God is meeting with him on top of Mount Sinai. And then they come back down and in that short amount of time that Moses was gone, uh, they've rejected God. They have built their own God and everything that God had done for them. How many have ever been really, really, really nice to somebody? Like overwhelmingly nice and you're like, man, I've done everything to show my kindness and my love and you know, and just have really gone out of my way to be nice and loving and, and just everything in me has worked to love that person. And then you walk to that person and you expect to see kindness back 
And let's say that person slaps you on the face or spits in your face or does something like that. And you can imagine the hurt that a person would feel if that were to happen. And so after this incident, God um, had intended to go into the promised land with Israel and accompany them. But now God said, I will make sure I fulfill my promises that I made to you. I'll send an angel that will go with you, but I won't go with you. And so at this moment, there is a tent that's in the middle of the community. And it's not the tabernacle yet because God hasn't given them instructions to build it for his presence. But there's a tent in the camp where they meet with God. And, and anybody that wants to meet with God and Moses and Joshua are always in there. And, and so at this moment, God says, yeah, I don't even want my presence in the middle of that camp anymore. You see how hurt? I mean, you know how God, something's going on here with God and he's withdrawing from them. And so God puts the tent outside the community and he says, anybody who wants to seek me come outside of the community because I won't be in the middle of that anymore. And so this is the moment where Moses meets with God again and he's interceding on behalf of the people and Moses is encouraging, he's interceding on their behalf and he's saying, God, I won't leave here unless you go with me. And I want you to be with us and I want you to forgive the people and I want you to be our God. And, and he's inter- you see he's interceding for the people in, in Exodus 33. And it says here in 33.18, it says, Then the Lord, or Moses said, Please show me your glory. Now he's asking God to show me your glory, which is the Hebrew word kabod, which means your weight or your value, or why are you so great? And so God, you can imagine, could reveal his greatness in a million different ways. You know, he could say, I'm all powerful, I'm omnipotent, I'm omniscient, I know everything that can be known. I can be everywhere at one time. I have the power to do anything. Uh, I have all these attributes that are great. But God says, um, then the Lord said, I will make Moses all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So when God reveals his glory, what Moses sees is his goodness, his mercy, his compassion. I want you to know my name, who I am. I am the I am, and I have mercy, compassion, and I have great amounts of goodness. And that word goodness, if you look it up in the Hebrew, means um, the ability to bless out of riches, to give abundance to somebody. And so when Moses sees God, he sees how good he is. And so when he reveals his glory, what does God want us to see about him? What's God want us to know about him? He wants us to know that he is a good God. And I think what's happening here, just from me praying and trying to ask the Holy Spirit, what, what is God trying to tell them here? And it's that God loved them so much. God did so much for this people. And do you see that they rejected him? And God is saying, if only I could show them how good I am. It's like they didn't even recognize the goodness 
of their God and how much God had done for them. And he goes, this is what I want people to see that I am a good God and I show mercy uh, whenever anybody will seek me as their God. I will show loving, kindness, and mercy. And he's trying to show that to them. And that is his glory, that he is a loving God. And I didn't realize this, but a lot of commentators believe that that is when God revealed Genesis chapter 1. Did you know that? We don't know how long God's presence took to pass through, but a lot of commentators believe at some point he revealed Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 2, 4 and the succeeding parts of Genesis, it says this is records that he got passed down to him from Adam and different people that were his, um, you know, family. And he penned it. Moses penned all five books. But chapter one's unique because he didn't receive that from anybody, received it from God. And it's very interesting. One of the reasons they say that is, is because the very end of Genesis one, he says, look, all the things that I gave you, I give you the herbs, I give you the trees, I give you the beasts of the field, I give you everything. And he says he looks and everything was good. And so for him to tell Moses at that point makes sense because God is revealing something overwhelming to Moses. Like look at everything that I created in creation and see how good I am. See everything that I gave you uh, I gave man all of this. I mean, look how beautiful everything is around us. I mean, no, that's the display of God's goodness is everything that he's given to us. And we don't always thank God for all that. You know, sometimes we are as bad as the children of Israel and not thanking God for all this goodness that's around us that he gave us. Hallelujah. Amen. And so as he goes... God is building a foundation. If Moses is going to move forward from that very difficult moment, he's going to have to understand that he serves a good God. That this is a God that um, literally leaves the camp because he loves them, he's been good to them, he's been kind to them, and they still reject everything that God does. They don't see him as a good God. You know, they don't see him for what he is, his greatness. Uh, God wants us to magnify his greatness. He wants us to magnify the fact that not only is he great, but he also is good. And that's what we're here for is to magnify that to the world around us, that we have a God that is good and a God who is great. And so that's the foundation that Moses had to have Moses goes from his presence a different person he realizes that he has a good God and remember the Bible says that's what leads to repentance that we recognize we have a God that we can trust a God who loves us a God who does good things a God who pours out his love on those who will seek him and so this is a foundation of our relationship with God is to understand who he is Another thing, understanding God's goodness is going to affect our faith for our entire lifetime. Did you know that? 
Our ability to trust God is going to be affected our entire life based on the fact of whether we think he's a good God or not. I mean, no, we can have a mixed opinion of what God is. We can say, well, God's good, but sometimes, you know, maybe he's not good. Sometimes maybe he's mean. Sometimes maybe he ignores. Sometimes maybe he doesn't hear me. And our faith is continually affected by the fact of whether we believe he is a God who is good or God who is not. In fact, listen to David here. David's going through a very tough time. Hard to tell what part of his life it is. But in Psalm 27, most likely it's when Absalom, his son, is trying to kill him and take his throne. And David says this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David would have lost heart Just listen really carefully. Had he not known and believed that the goodness of God would come his way in the land of the living. David needed to know that God was a good God because everything around him wasn't going very well. And so when the circumstances look really bad and we start to feel like we're all alone or God doesn't care or God doesn't see us or God doesn't know... The Bible's saying very clearly you have to have faith that you have a good God. How many realize that even if you're the most loving parent in the world, sometimes that goodness that you want to show to your kids isn't pleasant? And so we see a God who allows unpleasant things because he is a God that is full of goodness. And that doesn't make any sense to us unless we've been parenting a child. And then we understand there's a lot of unpleasant things that I allow my kids to go through because I love them. And I'm good. And if I were a bad father, I would not allow them to go through that. I'd just spare them that. And and God is a good God. And David, obviously, when you look back and look at his life, you see where God was developing the character of David. Right? I mean, we can see that in David's life. Everything he went through, God was developing the character of a man of God, a God who was after his own heart. And uh, God uh, had David in this spot where he had nowhere to go. I mean, he had nowhere to turn. It looked like God had abandoned him. He said, but I would not. Like, let me read it again. That's all right. I like a little background music. Oh, yeah. Actually helps me preach. Keep that right there, and when I cue it up, be ready. (laughs) It's worth it for me just seeing Lee with that pink tablet. I think he brought that with him. He probably has his Bible app on there. (laughs) Hallelujah. But David said, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. Jesus said, in John eleven forty, he said, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Now, what was the glory of God to Moses? His goodness. Hallelujah. Listen to this. 
Hebrews 11, 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must, must, this is very important, believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You must, if you're going to draw near to God, you must believe he rewards people who seek him. That means that God is a good God and I must believe that he's a good God who wants to bless me in order to draw near to him. You see the foundation, you must believe that he's a good God or it's going to affect your your faith. Amen? If you doubt that God is good and that he's going to manifest his goodness in your life, You'll be like David, he said, I'll lose heart and quit. How many have ever felt that way? Man, I'm not sure God's in this situation. I'm not sure God cares about me. I'm not sure God loves me. And you're in danger of quitting and losing heart. But God's saying, you must believe that I'm a rewarder of those who seek me. Amen. This is foundational stuff to our faith. Hallelujah. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Now listen to this. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That sounds like a good God that wants to bless us, right? Psalm 21, 2 and 3 says, You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips For you meet him with blessings and goodness. How many think that's a good God that meets you with blessings and goodness? And sometimes uh, the enemy will try to make you believe that he's not a good God. Uh, What was the thing that the enemy did in the Garden of Eden? Tried to get them to doubt the goodness of God. And that ended in them not believing God's promises. And that God had good things for them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to hear some of the riches. Did you notice that scripture said that it was the riches of God that we were taking for granted? That we were not uh, understanding his riches. Well, listen to some of these riches the Bible talks about. In Ephesians 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. I mean, you know, that is a wealthy, rich supply of grace that has been given to us. And you look through the Bible and you just look at the grace of God upon the lives of the people of God. And you see what grace will do in a life. And God has given us grace abundantly. In fact, uh, we have a song called Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. And, 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 and we've had so much grace from God that has been given, that's unmerited favor. That means I don't have to earn any of it. Uh, It's been given to me freely through Christ and his death. And what, what the scripture is saying in Romans, Paul is saying that somehow we can take that for granted or we can neglect it or we can despise it. And uh, church, we got to be really careful not to despise that amazing grace that has been given to us. Hallelujah. Give me another one. Mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love 
which he has loved us. Can you imagine being loved so much by God that he sent his son from heaven, died the worst death a man could possibly die because he loved us so much, and then for a lifetime he extends his mercy and he just asks us to love him back. And for a lifetime there are some people that say, I will not. And somebody says, well, why would a loving God send someone to hell? And can I tell you something? The Bible says that hell was made for Satan and his angels. And it was expanded because of our rejection of God. It's us that have rejected the mercy that's been extended to us. Hallelujah. And so church, we don't want to uh, take for granted the fact that God is reaching out to us. And his mercy is saying, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want My love is being extended in the greatest way I possibly could extend it. And we don't want to be accused of despising or neglecting or not uh, understanding the riches of that extension of God's love. Hallelujah. Um, he is rich in supplying our needs. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. By Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. I mean, know that God is extending riches toward us. He's a good God. He's extending and you say, well, man, God hasn't given me anything. Oh, you better be careful. You better be careful because uh, we live like kings. We do. And we've got lots and lots and lots and lots of things to be thankful for. And the fact that sometimes we can't find one thing um, kind of plays right into that scripture that we're ungrateful to God. And and can you imagine all the miracles and God was going to give them a land that flows with milk and honey and going to give them vineyards that they didn't plant, crops that they didn't plant, houses that they didn't build. And you know what their statement was? We want to go back to Egypt where we had onions and garlic and and, and, and the food was so good in Egypt. And, and God had done all these miracles. And they were just a very ungrateful group of people. To the point where God says, I can't even be in their community. You understand ungratefulness, what it does to God when he really truly loves us and lavishes his love upon us. And, and, and it, it would be awesome if that was where God revealed Genesis 1 to, to uh, Moses. Where he said, hey look, here's everything I made for you. Every herb, every tree, every, everything that you see, it was all good, Moses, and I gave it all to you. And uh, boy, we're ungrateful sometimes. <laughs> Hallelujah. First Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be proud, nor to trust in their uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. No, hold on. Well, God didn't give that to me. I worked pretty hard for that, and I saved up my money. And, you know, church, we got to start thanking God for giving us all the things that we enjoy. we got to get up every day and say, thank you, Lord, for this, and thank you, Lord, for that. And, and uh, we got to live a life of worship. It's not enough just on Sunday morning. Uh, it'll affect our faith if Sunday morning's the only time we worship God. But we got to learn to get up on a bad day and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Look at all these blessings. 
uh, look at all these things you have given me. You have lavished your love upon me richly. And uh, it's very important to our, our, our walk with the Lord. Hallelujah. He gives us strength. Ephesians 3.16 says, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you may, he may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being. Let me know that God, out of his riches, gives us strength. Hallelujah. So what is the purpose now of his goodness? Now I can go to my text. What's the purpose of his goodness? Do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, and his long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Do you despise the riches of his goodness? Not knowing that his goodness leads you to repentance. So if we're not recognizing the riches that are being lavished upon us, how can we ever repent? If we don't know how good God has been, how kind God has been, if we forget God's goodness, then how are we any different from these people that God said, I don't want to be in the camp. They don't appreciate anything that I've done for them. And so church, it's so important that we understand how good God is and how good he's been to us and how incredible God is. In fact, didn't Eddie say it right? How can you go work at McDonald's and then go to Burger King and tell everybody how great the Big Mac was? (laughs) You know, God is saying, you need to be telling people how good I am. How can you be saying how bad your life is and how bad this world is when you serve a God that is so good? Church, we got to be magnifying the goodness of God, telling people how good our God is, what God has done for us, what God has done for the world. God is a good God, and that's how he wants to be known. He wants to be known as a God who is a good God who loves people and has poured himself out for this world, has shed his blood because of his great love for us to try to reach us. God is a very loving and a good God. Hallelujah. Amen. But what? There's a grave responsibility for those who do not recognize. Did you notice it says... His goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering. Forbearance is an interesting word. It means his holding back. They didn't recognize God's holding back. Um, This is a terrible analogy, but I'm going to use it here. Uh, I can remember being in my 20s. And I can remember... um, not serving the Lord and just having total free freedom to grab anybody by the neck. You understand? Somebody says something you don't like, you just take care of it at that moment like we would say men used to do it, right? And as I began to serve the Lord, the Lord began to show me that I cannot ever act that way again or be that way again or uh, but do you know what it's like you know it's been 30 years since I've behaved that way but sometimes somebody will act a certain way and you'll say to yourself man if I was 20 again 
and you build a pattern of holding back. And that's what this is. It's God is so loving and God is so gracious. Can you imagine being a God who has that kind of power and that kind of authority and the kind of things that we say and the kind of things that we do? And God doesn't. He holds back. As the scripture says, we take lightly his goodness. We take lightly his forbearance. In fact, listen to this, Psalm seventy-eight thirty-eight. He says, but God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up his wrath. Um, I was reading an illustration. This is kind of interesting. Have you ever heard of a game called Pocket God? It's a game that came out. I didn't know about it either. Like 2008, it was on iPhone. And you have your own island. And you're the God over that island. And there's a bunch of pygmies on this island. And so you have to make all the decisions uh, on their existence. And what typically would happen is you had the power to send hurricanes. You had the power to send earthquakes. You had the power to burn their village down. You had power to do all kinds of things. Can you imagine if we were God and somebody just slights us a little bit? But I want you to understand the things that God is looking at from heaven. And the fact that God has forbearance, the fact that God holds himself back, the fact that God doesn't do anything at this moment is an amazing thing. The fact that we can shake our fist at God, we can call God all kinds of names, we can curse God, we can use his name in vain, we can, you know, do any manner of sin... And uh, haven't you ever looked sometimes in, at the news and just say, "God, how do you, how do you, how do you forbear? How do you hold yourself back?" God's forbearance is greater than any forbearance we could ever have. It's unlimited, and God has got a time when He will. But in fact, listen to this: Second Peter three nine. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some people. Count slackness. That means he is not just not doing anything or passive, like some people think of being passive. It says, but he is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is he like that? Because he loves people. You say, well, man, doesn't he not see the terrible things that? People are doing to each other. See, not see all this evil, all this sin. The reason he doesn't wipe all that out at this moment is because he wants everyone to repent. You say everyone. Do you know who that includes? He wants everyone to come to repentance. And that's amazing that God has that attribute. You say, well, I thought God was mean and God was terrible. No, God is patient. He's kind. He's long-suffering. And we need to know that if we're going to put our faith in him, right? It goes on and it says that all should come to repentance. But listen to this. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. The heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in your conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. 
Because which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and the new earth. How many know we have a good God who has a plan and there's going to come a day where God says it can't continue like this, but I'm going to be patient and long-suffering because I don't want anyone to perish. That means I don't want anyone to go to hell. But there's coming a day when it will all be over. And that may be the last breath that you take. But how many know God is very patient? It's amazing. In fact, it says we take for granted, that Romans passage, we take for granted his forbearance, his holding back, and his long-suffering. I mean, the length of time he'll be patient. So it says that his goodness leads to repentance. That's what it's supposed to do. God's goodness is supposed to lead to repentance. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 7, 9. He says, Now I rejoice that you were made sorry. I rejoice not that you were made sorry. I'm sorry. I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. I mean, no, you can be sad about your behavior... And you can even confess that behavior. But confession and repentance, like I said last week, aren't the same thing. Confession means I'm sorry and I confess it. But repentance means, the the Greek word means to turn around and go the opposite direction. So if you haven't turned around and went the opposite direction and given all of your, you know, um, all of your strength toward repentance then that means we're just sorry. And uh, he says, Now rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation, not to regret. But the sorrow the world produces produces death. You understand that there is a sorrow that doesn't lead to repentance. But there is a sorrow that also leads to godly repentance. And it makes a person want to turn. because they. And and what leads them to that? I know that God loves me. I can entrust God. When I turn and listen to God, I can trust that he's a good God. And he'll care for me and he'll love me. Hallelujah. We go on here. But here is the full verse in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, if I stopped there, we wouldn't hear the rest of this because there's a grave consequence. You say, well, man, that sounds pretty good to have understand the goodness of God and accept it. But if I don't, it's just not, I'm just not adding it to my repertoire here. I'm not adding it to my, you know, my walk, and so it's not that big of a deal. But there are serious consequences if we remain ungrateful and not recognize His goodness. Because as you continue to read on, it says, But in accordance with the hardness of your heart, accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, 
You are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to their deeds eternal life to those who are in patient continuance in doing good, seeking glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are seeking, um, self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul who does evil, from the Jew first and also to the Greek, but to glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there's no partiality with God. God's saying if you continue to go an entire lifetime rejecting God, then there are consequences for that. And church, how many know this is part of the gospel too? God is the most loving person that we'll ever know in our life, the goodness of God, the wonders of God, but he's a good God. That means a good God will not tolerate evil forever. There will come a day where God has to separate the wicked and the righteous. He has to separate the tares and the wheat, you know, the sheep and the goats. Um, There's very clearly a good God cannot tolerate sin forever. That's why people do end up in hell. Because they refuse for a lifetime to understand the goodness of God. So how can we increase... How can we increase our understanding of God's goodness? And I love this scripture from David. Psalm 34, it says, verse 7 to 10. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Remember that, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes their refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Listen to this. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. And so I want you to think about this as I close. How do I grow? And you can go, come on up, Brian. How do I grow in my understanding of the goodness of God? And David says it as simply as anybody could say it. Taste. And see that the Lord is good. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain to you what honey tastes like. It's sweet. It's delicious. Man, it just, when you put it on your tongue, it just melts. Ice cream. You've never had ice cream before, but let me explain it. Pretend like you've never had ice cream. It's creamy. It's cold, it melts into your mouth, and sometimes they have chocolate chips in them. Sometimes they have lots of other things. Pizza, man, you never had pizza? It's cheesy, it's, man, those toppings. Steak, you never had a steak before? Man. You do it right, you don't even need sauce on it. You can't imagine how good it tastes. And do you see what happens here? I can explain to you, if you've never had ice cream, what it tastes like, but you'll never know. I can explain to you what steak tastes like, but I really can't explain it to you if you've never had it. I can't explain to you. 
a candy bar, I can't explain honey, I can't explain any of those things. I'm better off just shutting my mouth, saying, here, take a bite. And so the only way to know the goodness of God, I can preach till I'm blue in the face. We can read about it until we're blue in the face. How many know people have went to seminaries and still don't understand that God is good? So Moses did the right thing. He said, show me. And God wants us to begin to ask him that. Lord, show me your goodness. Show me who you are. Lord, I'm going to trust you through the toughest times. And I want you to show me your goodness because, church, if we don't understand how good he is, it's going to be very difficult to serve him. Because every time something goes wrong, we're going to think to ourselves, he's not a good God. And we need to understand that those who love him, those who walk with him, um, he is going to pour out his goodness in your life. But you have to trust him through everything. And you'll taste it. And David, in this scripture in Psalm 34, he actually is probably in the hardest time in his life. He's got the entire Philistine army around him. Uh, He's walking with the sword of Goliath. And he's going into Achish, the king of the Philistines. And the entire nation of Israel has cast him out as a fugitive. He's got nowhere to run, nowhere to go. And he's surrounded by an enemy and he killed their mighty champion. And so God's got to protect him because he has, he's literally in the presence of his enemies. And somehow David doesn't even know how it happened. God delivered him. And that's when he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He knew that the Lord was good because God had delivered him out of something that seemed impossible. And so church, I would encourage you, if you're going through something that seems impossible, trust him. And taste and see that the Lord is a good God. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet this morning. Let's just worship God and just worship Him for every good thing He's brought to your life. Hallelujah. We'll worship for maybe a song or two and then I'll close in prayer. But how many can do that? How many can worship God and just tell Him how good He is and thank Him for every good thing He's given us? Uh, You say, well, what thing should I start with? Well, start with all of creation. Start with Genesis chapter 1 where he gave us every tree, every herb, every animal. And you say, well, why should I think for the animals? Because you're probably going to go have fried chicken after we leave here. And I would thank God for that to start off. Maybe you're having steak. Maybe you're grilling. I don't know. But maybe you like vegetables and you're vegetarian. Thank him for the vegetables. Thank him for your job. Thank him for your strength. Thank him for everything that he has given you today. Hallelujah. Let us thank the Lord today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. One of the, uh, probably the number one line, my, uh, I know my girls for sure will remember me by one day. Because every time I feel God's love and I feel a moment where it feels like God is just, His blessing is on you. 
You ever have those moments when I'm sitting with my daughters and, you know, we were camping out together Friday night, me and my daughters, and we were just sitting in the tent all night. And, and I'll stop in those moments. And I'll say, look at us. And they know when I say, look at us, I'm getting ready to say that line, and they'll say it before me. We're living like kings. Look at us. We're living like kings. And church, I just want to challenge you during the week. Just just remember, every time you feel that blessing of God on your life, I don't care what line it is. I know somebody else, they say, life is good. That's their line. And we got to recognize the blessings of God. Because there's a lot of things in this world that God never intended to be here. He made a good world. But God is a good God always. He's always good. And so all week we should be able to find things all day where we can say, man, look at us. Look at us. And if we can't do that, church, we can't draw near to God. Because we must first know that he's good. And the enemy, when he draws you away from God, that's the first place he'll go. Just try to make you think he's not a good God. And that's how the enemy works. It's biblically how it works. So I want to challenge you this week to be thankful and grateful. And and just express that however you can. Maybe that's putting some worship music on. Or maybe that's just at that moment saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then sometimes... When you're about to feel yourself, you know, blaming something bad on God, check yourself and say, forgive me, Lord. I love you. I love you. And one day I'm going to be with you and I won't have to deal with this anymore. Hallelujah. I want to be with you, Lord. I want to be with you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that we would count our blessings every day. Lord, that we would um, love you for who you are. You are a good God. That is the glory of God. When the house begins to magnify the goodness of God, Lord, we've experienced your glory. Lord, we experience that glory in a million moments, Lord God, in our life. Many times of the day, Lord God, but sometimes we fail to recognize it. Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive to that, Lord. Your goodness, in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Everybody said, Amen.